Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible but were afraid to ask. I'm Cameron Howard. And I'm Eric Barreto. And joining us today is Mary Hinkleshore, who teaches New Testament here at the seminary. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Hi, Eric. It's good to be here. So we've got today, this, I think, a really interesting piece, something really relevant for us today. Was Jesus a threat to the Roman Empire? And I think the first place we might start is that I think when most people think about Jesus, they think about someone who's a religious figure, who talks about issues of morality and issues of the soul. And I think for some people, the idea that Jesus might be a political person is kind of uncomfortable. Um, what do you make of that? Was Jesus a political person as well? Well, I think that for us, it's maybe easy to distinguish between political concerns, concerns about public life, and concerns about, you know, uh, internal spirituality or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that that distinction is is very useful when we're trying to figure out the ancient world. Uh, everything um, was political, and pretty right. much everything was religious as yeah. well. Yeah. So Jesus is a religious figure, and he speaks freely about God, but he uh, believes that what he has to say about God will have implications for um, for civil life. And mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. would have been clear to his audience, and it would have been clear to people who eventually became his enemies, I think. Yeah, it seemed, it, it's, it's really hard for us to imagine. I think especially as kind of Western people that there isn't a political sphere and a religious sphere, then those two should never cross. It makes us really uncomfortable when those two things cross over. But in the ancient world, you couldn't help but do it, right? So, you know, in the, in the Roman Empire, you had not just a political leader, but kind of a living deity. And that refusing to say honor honor the, the, the emperor isn't just a religious decision that you can choose whether or not you want to believe in him or not. If you choose not to believe in him and his deity then you're a political traitor as well. It's not just a matter of religious choice at that point. Right, and at the same time, the uh, Rome and Roman authorities, political authorities, seem to have some influence even at the level of the Jewish temple right, and right. who serves as high priest and things like that. So Yeah, there's all these controversies, a, right, leading up to the time of Jesus about people appointing the wrong kind of priest or the wrong kind of high priest, right. and people get very upset about that. Um, one of the, I think one of the... Uh, one of the passages where we see this division, I think, wreck uh, some interpretation is this famous passage where um, Jesus' challengers come up to him and ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Um, and he tells them, you know, give to God what is God and to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And so often we read that as a division between the political world and the religious world. And that's not quite yeah, what's happening there, right? It's something different. Um, uh, it's uh, when you're when you're in a system that's as brutal and as strong as the Roman imperial system, how do you resist? Right. You know, and so open resistance is going to be squashed. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's not like you have the the freedom to free speech or the freedom to assemble there. Exactly. They're gonna they're gonna bring in us soldiers and get rid of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you offer resistance? Maybe it's um, around the edges, or mm-hmm. it's in a kind of speech that uh, appears to Rome to be harmless enough, Mm -hmm, render to mm -hmm. Caesar what is Caesar's. And Rome can maybe hear that and think, uh, you know, this is not a threat. Right. But if they think they think they own the world. Right. right? (laughs) And, you know, and if you want to maybe um, offer a little tribute to your to your God, uh, well, fine, you know, we're, we're fine with that. Right. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. But if you're a Jew, you know that everything 
belongs to God, right. the creator of everything, and that um, uh, God is in heaven, uh, you know, uh, more powerful and uh, reigning over all, even even some uh, entity as strong as, mm-hmm. as a Roman emperor. So to give to things, to give to God things that are God's turns that question around, like, what wouldn't belong to God? Right. And, and yeah, go ahead. Well, and in the, in the Old Testament, the, the idea that kingship itself belongs to God is very prominent. We have Psalms um, that talk about uh, God's reign. But also, there is a tradition, of course, of Israelite and Judean kingship to draw on, um, in which... Uh, even the very idea of kingship itself in the yeah. Old Testament yeah. is is intention. Sometimes it's a positive idea. Um, at the end of Judges, you know, there these terrible things happen because there, there was, was no, no king. king in Israel. Yeah. But then, um, when there is a king, um, the king does what um, empires do. Right? Sociologists talk about empires working. Um, via extraction that mm. they take, you know, sort of suck everything toward the center, um, all resources, both sort of human and monetary and agricultural and that sort of thing. And right. so then you have the prophets um, who are uh, standing against that and calling even the Israelite kings into check. Um, I think things, there's always sort of throughout the Bible this. Um, commentary over and against human rule it becomes pretty complicated though when that's not an internal commentary but then you're subject to ever more um, foreign and um, brutal rulers it's helpful to remember that these kind of questions aren't just about the gospels not just about jesus this is an experience that israel has had it's all the way through the hebrew scriptures even when um, israel has its own king there are other imperial forces all around them that they have to constantly grapple with. So that Absolutely. this experience of being dominated by an outside force and that this experience of having your human and agricultural resources being taken from you is one that's at the very center of these people's faiths. I mean, it's, it's at the center of their lives. And I think we have a hard time imagining that because we, um, at least in the West, are not subject to some, for, some sort of foreign power. And I think sometimes we have a hard time imagining what that would be like. Um, and how that might actually force you to ask questions about who God is, if God has made all these promises. I think about the language of kingdom of God that we find throughout the Gospels. And I remember in Sunday school, I was taught the kingdom of God is within. But kingdom Mm -hmm. is political language. I mean, do you think that Jesus is being political with that? Yeah, (laughs) you know, I actually don't think the kingdom of God is within. Um, There's there's one passage, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but Mm. I think it's... um, only in Luke, and it's Jesus saying the kingdom of God is, and the Greek is n, so um, n humin uh, among, among you. you all. Yeah, it's plural. Yeah. It is it's very plural. important. Yeah. And it is mistranslated because of the because of the preposition n uh, sounds a little bit like the English in and can mean in. Uh, can mean within, but it can mean also among and and with a plural object it's it ha- just has to be the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven no it would be kingdom of god in luke <laughs> is among you all mm. uh it's it, uh here is where god reigns in this community you know not somewhere else 
uh, higher than you or apart from you or after you are alive. Jesus is saying uh, there's a kind of now uh, reality in the Gospel of Luke. Things happen today in Luke. And I think that that line about the kingdom of God being among you all is more about present tense and present time and place than it is about a spiritualization of the kingdom. Now, I grant that a lot of us have heard that and we've all thought, um, grew up kind of thinking, and then um, there was a um, Julie, uh, or not Julie, sorry, Shirley MacLaine, (laughs) when I was young, uh, loved that uh, that Mm -hmm. line and kept talking about the kingdom being within you. And and for her, it was all about new age kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there was a Mm -hmm. way of Mm -hmm. accessing God within oneself but it's a misunderstanding of Jesus's words. Yeah. It's that that's not what he's at after. And maybe what we need is to kind of realize what, you know, when we use the word politics, I think we often imagine news about presidents and senators and scandals and things like that. But politics really is about how we organize um, ourselves as a people. It's, it's about people and how we relate to one another. And I think that's what, you know, the kingdom of God or what uh, I like Mark Allen Powell suggests the reign of God. I like that a lot because it's a way of how we organize one another. And the kingdom of God for Jesus wasn't just about getting you into heaven, about making you a better person. It was about, I think, especially in Luke, about stitching people back together. So mm-hmm. communities that have previously been torn asunder, bringing them back together. And we see this especially when Jesus heals people. Hmm. So he's not healing people because it's a nice show or it's dazzling or it's fireworks or he wasn't healing people so then they could tell them the real gospel. That healing was the gospel. It was the good news. So for the woman with the issue of blood, for example... Here's somebody who's separated from her community, who can't draw near to anyone else. And that moment that she's healed, the community is made whole again. It's this present salvation that you were talking about. It's not something we wait for. It's something we experience really tangibly right here, right now. So what about that is a threat to Rome, though, uh-huh. right? Yeah. I was just thinking the yeah. same thing. I was going <laughs> to ask you that question, Eric. Well, I mean, what, how, how does that get him in so much trouble? It's a destabilizing force. So, for example, think about when Luke goes over to... And heals the Gerasene demoniac. Mm-hmm. The people react and they're afraid. What are they afraid of? So they could be afraid, right? He's ruined all these pigs, so he's ruined part of the local economy. Mm-hmm. But I think even deeper than that is, is this fear that when the world is turned upside down, that we're going to end up on the wrong side of the equation. Mm-hmm. I think that there, as Jesus proclaims his vision of a new kingdom in which... Um, the doors are wide open as possible and it's as, as inclusive as possible... I think that is a threat to um, to an empire that likes to divide people between insiders and outsiders. It's a lot easier to control people in that kind of system. When the doors are thrown open um, and there's this kind of uh, this leveling that Mary talks about in the, in the Magnificat, um, it's a lot harder. To, it's a much more unruly people to rule at that point. Um, and when no yeah. tyrant would like surprises. Not at all. So better just have things stay the way they are. Yeah. Not to risk something. And it's it that, as you describe it, is much more profoundly subversive and threatening, in, to my mind, than if he went up to the emperor and said, you're really bad, you've got to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or stage some sort of mm-hmm. direct protest, because he doesn't do a lot of conversing with Rome or mm-hmm. sort of language or actions that are very clearly directed at Rome, but that sort of bubbling up from underneath seems to be... That's the stuff that changes the world. I mean, so you give yeah. a couple examples of this, of kind of these revolutionary movements, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, in 2011 with the Arab Spring, and, and we can think about the civil rights movement and 
other movements like that. It's kind of from the ground up. It's when people start realizing, oh, wait, things can be different. Right. And I think that's that's what tyrants fear more than uh, anything. um, As much as anything, they fear a different imagination of the future. Because if you actually thought something could change, then maybe you could work Mm -hmm. toward that change uh, or start to live in that change before it happened. Uh, that's, I think, the message of the kingdom of God at being at hand. Yeah. That you that it's it's a way of offering a new imagination to people who haven't been inclined to imagine anything really, except a continuation of of um, tyranny mm-hmm. uh, or possibly some sort of uh, grand external intervention on God's right. behalf. But some this this uh, this yeah. in between word of the kingdom at hand now is mm-hmm. is maybe radical enough that. It's finally frightening. And maybe uh, I really like how you imagine this because maybe the only two possibilities that people had is things are going to stay the same or we can throw overthrow them violently, mm-hmm. you know, have this mm-hmm. big war. And it worked before, right? So we have the Maccabean revolts and mm-hmm. it worked before. And Jesus kind of gives this third way, I think, that says transform how you relate to one another and the world can be transformed as well. And that is a major political threat. The most... So, so then is Jesus still a threat to empire? I mean, where would, do we see empire or these kinds of, um, oppressive institutions, perhaps not in the sort of classic sense of one country, you know, like the British empire is Mm -hmm. no more, but in what ways do we see empire or oppressive situations, um, in which Jesus might still be a threat to that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think there there are a number of ways that we, uh, as Christians, might begin to question the status quo uh, about who the other is in our neighborhoods or uh, our communities. Uh, imagine crossing a boundary that you thought was pretty mm-hmm. pretty stationary, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and you find yourself on the other side of it uh, with a new, you know, connection. Um, or I think in terms of economic realities, if we, uh, if we s- sort of stopped believing we are what we consume or we are what we purchase, then we might, and divided ourselves up differently from mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. we might actually make, make friends, know people across economic boundaries, which are almost more um, stationary in our time than, than um, ethnic boundaries now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, don't, I, I loved what Eric said about... Um, as we relate to one another differently, mm. no. there's um, there's a destabilizing uh, char- character to that. Yeah. And in that way, I do think Jesus, who who just insisted on crossing these boundaries to relate to people differently, um, following him is inherently threatening mm-hmm. to a mm-hmm. status quo where some people are in and some are out and some are rich and some are poor. Um, that that could change. Yeah. It, it, Another way we could ask the question, right, is is the gospel still political? Is it still mm-hmm. a political question? And I think we see sometimes how when religious people get involved in politics, the religious stuff gets lost for the mm-hmm. sake of political advancement. So maybe here Jesus provides a model for us. So um, he's not running for the Roman Senate. You can't do that, right? But he's not, <laughs> it's not what he's out there to do. He's not uh, going before uh, Caesar or before Herod and telling him off. What he's doing is he's working with people and changing the ways we relate to one another. Uh, so maybe that is the political model for us. It's not about 
I mean, it is about elections and politics and things like that, but maybe the place for Christians to start where to focus our energies is in our communities, in our neighborhoods. I think there's a both and here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think there is a very close to the ground. Um, I mean, when I walk my dog and I talk to somebody who doesn't look like me, mm-hmm. that is my little subversive act for the day, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm not yeah. scared of the person who I think might be asking me for money, but mm-hmm. I'm actually going to engage him. And right. I actually have to have my dog there because she's, she gives me the courage yeah. and, she, yeah, yeah. and she's somebody <laughs> that everybody loves. And so she's sort of our bridge. But um, when I do that, it's a little subversion. Mm-hmm. When I When I vote or, you know... Mm. Um, talk to a neighbor about something that's important to me that's happening in the political realm. That's also part of my vocation, I think, yeah, as a Christian. Yeah, so yeah. I would want to say both are possible, but maybe, um, uh, yeah, maybe not just Maybe we don't the see other. the power of that first kind of political yeah, action. Maybe of the, so. yeah. yeah, and that that is in and of itself a spiritual discipline, that it helps us to grow in our faith and to come to understand Scripture better, to... Um, grow our relationship with God to be in that relationship with neighbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the prophets, social justice was a spiritual discipline. What right. does the Lord require of you right. but mm-hmm. to do justice, love kindness, and act and walk humbly with your God? And so I think that those that idea of spirituality and community and politics being together um, is thoroughly biblical. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mary, for being with us today. It was great. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you for joining us for Bible Q&A. You can find more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again.